We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're talking dynasty trades. Curtis gets Christian McCaffrey. Dave gets Mike Evans, Paris Campbell. What did we send? And also, we're breaking down the top three rounds of the big board on Underdog Fantasy on Rotoviz Radio. Welcome into the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Curtis Patrick. I'm joined by Dave Cabin. Uh, we're two of the main guys here at rotoviz.com, and we've got a full show um, today, a little bit of everything, but it's all the stuff that, I mean, it's all the stuff that everyone's doing this time of year. We're kind of in that nice lull between, you know, rookie analysis, uh, just, you know, chaos post-combine, uh, and in between that and the NFL draft. And so we can actually get some real work done, um, you know, kind of weeding the garden with our dynasty teams and then also hammering early best ball drafts. It's a, it's, you know, it's kind of a fun time of the fantasy calendar. Um, and we've both been really active. So uh, Dave, any personal updates before we get into the show? Yes, I have orchestrated a couple of trades. Uh, well, perhaps I didn't orchestrate them, Curtis. You're giving yourself too much credit. I'm giving myself too much credit. <laughs> No, I had I had I had a couple of owners reach out. They were interested in making some moves. Uh, you know, went back and forth a couple of times. And I think that I did a couple of things for a team uh that needs a little bit of help. This is a team that is in your typical one quarterback league uh on the FFPC, but I've noticed an interesting thing in the couple of straggler leagues that I have that are not super flex that remain your typical one quarterback league. And that is for some odd reason in these leagues, teams are rostering three or four quarterbacks, which as a result, my strategy of just kind of figuring it out week to week is becoming a little bit unsustainable. And there actually was not a quarterback on the waiver wire that seemed like the type of player I wanted to add to be able to ride with throughout the year. And I actually wasn't feeling very good that outside of drafting a rookie, I'd have any reliable production from this spot um, over the course of the season. And I did not want to use one of my rookie picks on it uh, on quarterback. So I had Keenan Allen on this roster and there was one owner who was interested in a couple of my wide receivers seemed to like Keenan Allen. And I got a couple of different offers uh, from that manager. What I did, Curtis, was I went out to our dynasty rankings on the site where we have tiers that are set equivalent to a given number of rookie picks. As a result, it kind of gives you a way of comparing a player to a number of picks. And then also via that tier system lets you compare the relative value of two players. Uh, what I came to discover was that, uh, you know, Mike Evans and Keenan Allen, we have graded out fairly similarly in terms of their value. And, 
I could essentially give Keenan Allen an around four pick to get back Derek Carr in a 605 with the way things fall out in our rankings. Uh, Derek Carr and the 605 were more valuable than the 402. So that was kind of the underpinning of how I came okay with moving this deal. Because obviously, well, I don't know if I should say obviously, but my stance would be at this point, given that you have Keenan Allen playing with Justin Herbert in that Chargers offense at this point, I do feel a little bit better about Allen than I do Evans. Granted, I don't know if they're worlds apart or anything like that, but uh, that's yeah. kind of the deal that I landed with. So I'll let you, I'll let you react. I think it's fine, man. I mean, you know, we're, we're coming up on cut downs for FFPC uh, classic leagues. Um, you know, so if this is a deal that you're making in, in that type of context, just to try to make it applicable for everybody listening, you know, the, the, the cross check is really just, is Derek Carr going to make my top 14? Yep. You know, if he, if he is, then it's a fine trade. I mean, Evans for, you know, getting Evans back for Allen is a totally fair pivot at this point. And, you know, you're probably not feeling great if, if Carr is your QB one, but if you're supplementing that with a rookie QB, or if you got to, if you're going to have kind of two middling QB twos that you're going to stream back and forth. I mean, he definitely fits there. I think there's still some room for him to, uh, you know, perform, um, you know, in the dome and in New Orleans, I mean, I think all of his home games, he'd certainly be startable. It's a weaker division than what he's coming from in the AFC West. There's some reasons to, to believe that he could, you know, get back to some of his form from a couple years ago. So to pay, you know, a two round penalty, you know, that deep in the rookie draft is fine. I mean, I think it's a, it's a perfectly fair pivot, probably makes sense for both managers. You know, that guy was probably going to cut car. And so, you know, he feels like he got a little bit of value by, by trading up in the draft a little. Certainly. And if I did not make this move, I'd be looking at Malik Willis or Tyler Huntley at that quarterback. Oh okay. so. so yeah, this is actually, so given that context, I mean, this is a highly strategic move for you. It gives you a little bit of flexibility going into, yep. you know, kind of the rookie and veteran draft and less desperate to, to reach on, you know, a player due to positional need. Sure. Um, but yep. yeah, so I think that's great. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to break down my trade and then we'll go back and you made a smaller deal that I think is, is kind of fun too, but this one's a blockbuster, baby. I mean, this is a this is two players. This is just a straight up. This is a man's. Uh, this is an alpha <laughs> trade. I'm not. I shouldn't say man's trade. It's just an, this is an alpha dynasty players trade. I sent Chris Olave and received Christian McCaffrey. Wow. I mean, yeah. This is this is a. You know, we went back and forth. This is in uh, FFPC number one hundred six. It's a classic single QB league. One I've been in for you know, a number of years now, I think I've won it, uh, maybe twice or, or won it once and finished second a couple times. I've done pretty well, but last year was a down year, had a lot of injuries, younger roster, you know, in this, in this type of scenario, you're only forced to start two wide receivers and you have two traditional flex spots and you're starting two uh, running backs. And, you know, this team has, you know, before the trade Tyreek Hill, Amari Cooper, Chris Olave, Traylon Burks, um, you know, and only having to start two wide receivers, feeling pretty good there at running back. And this is part of the reason that the performance was poor last year. Um, you know, Antonio Gibson, Rashad White, uh, uh, Rashad Penny, you know, that's basically what the team's got. You know, it's got nothing but strong at tight end, strong at quarterback you know, with the wide receiver core that I have left over, you know, now having Christian McCaffrey as an anchor at, at RB one, you know, weak winner, potentially any given week. And then owning, you know, the one Oh six, the two Oh two and the two Oh eight, I can really do some damage in the the rookie draft. I think I've got a, a chance to get back in there and compete for a title this year. So, you know, if this was one of our road of his triflex leagues, it's a little bit trickier of a trade because you're, you're obviously forced to start, you know, three wide receivers, Alave, you know, still young, obviously only 22 right now, be coming up on his age 23 season. You know, McCaffrey's going to be playing his age 27 season in an unknown, unknown quarterback situation, but he's also the type of back that might have a little bit longer shelf life uh, than those that make their, you know, living between the tackles. So now I don't think that he'll turn into a pumpkin after this year, but this was really a trade that I made, you know, for the, the value of potentially winning, uh, in 2023. And I felt like Alave uh, of the receivers that I had, I mean, Tyree kills value is uh, on that way down a little bit. 
Amari Cooper is far more valuable on my roster than he is in terms of dynasty trade value. And Traylon Burks, while I think he has a similar ceiling to Chris Olave, still doesn't command the type of return. So, I mean, even though Olave is the you know the sexiest wideout on the roster, he's also the, the one that's going to get me the type of running back that it makes sense to make a deal for. So, you know, where are you? I mean, this is this is not a very traditional Rotoviz type dynasty trade. It's not even a trade that I, you know, it's not even a Curtis type dynasty trade typically, but because it's in that FFPC classic scenario, that's why I felt comfortable making the deal. Yeah, I think that this is one of those trades where you really have to break it down from the standpoint of the team that is making this move and you don't want to view it just in the two players that are moving. That said, I think that you could find a lot of people out there that still would have CMC maybe a tier, tier and a half, two tiers ahead of Olave. Uh, Obviously, they're kind of on different trajectories as far as their value goes, but after hearing you break down your team, I think that this goes back to a concept we've talked about before where sometimes you have to make those moves that maybe seem a little bit uncomfortable to keep your team competing year in and year out. Sometimes it's you've got to make that move that feels uncomfortable giving away a player to get a player that could hopefully continue to ascend or have value for a number of years. But sometimes you just need to get that little boost in value now to push your team over the hump that year, even if it means that you are going to have a player who could have been a contributor for a number of years that you'll have to backfill as you move forward. Yeah. I think the other, the other thing is I have a way out here, you know, if the team, you know, if something else goes awry with this squad and it doesn't look like it's in title contention, but McCaffrey is healthy. I'm going to be able to trade him for, you know, maybe 95 cents, of, of what this trade was during the season, yep. you know, to, to somebody that's in the playoffs, they're going to feel like this is the move that they, they can make uh, to put themselves over the top. So provided that CMC is healthy this year, if it makes sense for me to get out of the deal, um, I could, you know, I could do it for 24, uh, 2024 picks, or I could go after, you know, I, I could probably convert him into another young wide receiver if it makes sense to do that. But this is really, this is just a big boy trade. I'm trying to win the league this year. If this is the time of season, uh, time of the fantasy season where you can get those veterans at a discount and, you know, his value will, you know, start to spike again once we get into September and he's scoring, you know, 26 points a game again. So, <laughs> yep. uh, okay. So we've got one more dynasty trade to break down before we transition to best ball in this episode. And this is a sneaky, and it's, this is kind of a good segue yep. uh, too, because this is a player that I've been, uh, selecting in the double digit rounds of a lot of the underdog fantasy best ball drafts that I've been in so far uh, this spring, Dave, you sent the six Oh five and you got Paris Campbell plus the seven twelve. So traded down around and got the New York giants, new wide receiver. Uh, why was Campbell attractive for you? Well, I think that he is one of those players that there is some upside on him outplaying a 605. Uh, so you look at a team that ha- kind of had a resurgence last year. You look for a player that's being brought in, isn't going to be a star, but could certainly be on a contributor on this offense that looks like it's trending up. I've always liked Paris Campbell. We haven't seen him really put it together, but on a team uh, that might be able to use some of his skill set, I think he makes sense as one of those perhaps throw away players to some people that you put on your team. Maybe it doesn't add much value, but you're not really giving much away, you know, getting the seven twelve back, who knows what that could turn into, but I will probably package that seven twelve with something else in another deal for maybe a player, a touch above Campbell, uh, but just try to round up my roster with a couple of pieces. So I have some more context as I navigate that draft and making some more moves as we head into the season. Well, yeah, I, I like it. Um, you know, again, if the player is going to make your top 14, I think this was another FFPC dynasty yep. uh, trade. As long as he's going to make your top 14, I mean, you can feel good about it. And, you know, Brian Dayball and the New York Giants, they're they are obviously trying to find kind of this move wide receiver um, that can you know go all over the formation you know, take a couple handoffs. You know, they drafted Wandale Robinson last year. He couldn't stay healthy, you know, similar to Paris Campbell's early NFL 
uh, issues as well. But, you know, I think that's really his competition. One of those guys is probably going to have a pretty big role in the offense. And, you know, Campbell's coming off a career year, 151 PPR uh, last season. Um, had, you know, three big games right in the middle of the calendar with 18.7, 23, and 20.6, respectively, in weeks 6, 7, and 10. Um, that it really kind of anchored his season. He was a yep. uh, wide receiver, 48 in PPR and, and total scoring. He had an expected points rank of 40th amongst all wide receivers. And, you know, it was the first time in his career he played more than seven games. So, you know, he is trending up, lands in a, a overall more attractive offense with an inventive uh, head coach that's that's running the thing. And, you know, we expect the offense to take a, a step forward in year two under Dayball with, you know, most of their, uh, I guess their their key players intact with Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley presumably both back. They bring in Darren Waller, uh, which gives them another element to their offense um, to attack opposing defenses. And so it could really be clear underneath for a player like Campbell, who's at his best, you know, on on short types of targets, and then accumulating yak, you know, kind of running in there behind Waller, you know, maybe a lot like Hunter Renfro did for a couple. Uh, seasons out there in in Oakland and then Vegas. So yeah, I like it, man. I think it's a pure upside move for you. And you're very, very unlikely to get a different quality of player at 605 than you could get at 712. Yes, certainly. So that was the trades that we wanted to cover. Hopefully that gives some of our listeners out there a couple of ideas of some moves that they could look to make themselves. I'm now going to hit a drop here, Curtis. You might have some thoughts to share with us, and then we will start breaking down uh, some ADP. Wrong sound effect. (laughs) (laughs) All right, hit the right one. Uh, Yeah, let me find it. Uh, Okay, I I, I went the wrong direction. All right, well, first off, quick progress check on my home fantasy football and sports betting command center. I've been talking for the last couple months about how pumped I am uh, about my new Ep- Epson Epic Vision Ultra LS800 short throw laser projector. I've got a 120 inch silver flex screen down there now. And Dave, I know you've seen the pictures uh, that I had shared during the you know the NFL draft and then you know March Madness the last couple of weeks. I, the contractor's coming back to finish the framing in the basement, and I'm taking next week off for my kids' spring break. Oh wow! I mean, so, so so two weeks from now when we record, I mean. I may be set up downstairs in, in the new fantasy command center. It's going to be pretty cool. Um, if, if you want to see some of the pictures, they are on my Twitter feed at C Patrick NFL. And uh, yeah, if you want to learn more, um, I've got a link there. I'm an official Epson partner. So check it out. I mean, it, it's honestly, you know, a game changer for your household. As long as you have a wall big enough for the screen, uh, there's zero chance you'll regret it. Um, yeah. Really, really exciting, Dave. So, you know, now we want to talk a little bit about, underdog fantasy and what's going on with the big board and the little board and some of their early best ball drafts. This is always a very fun time of year drafting these rookies in in more of a, a redraft context rather than dynasty context. Even before we know what their landing spots or draft capital is, it you know, feels like, um, you know, a, a way to make some informed gambles on players that, that we presume to have an idea of where they'll go in the draft and what they could do in year one. And, you know, also, I mean, the ADP is going to move a lot between, you know, now and the summer. And so if there are players that you have conviction on, even that are veterans or that have, that have moved around, you want to get that exposure before things change rapidly. Um, it's a good time to do it. So Dave and I thought that we would walk through the, just the first three rounds of what we're seeing uh, in underdog fantasy, big board ADP, uh, because I, I maxed my entries out today. And um, Dave was just talking about upping his. And so, you know, we might talk about a few combinations that we like in the first three rounds, a couple of players that, uh, you know, maybe we would veer uh, away from or avoid. Um, and then just any general observations. So Dave, why don't you run us down through round one and then we'll riff a bit here. Sure. So round one is typically starting off Justin Jefferson followed by Jamar Chase then you have Christian McCaffrey, Cooper Cup, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, uh, Diggs, AJ Brown, Devontae Adams, CD Lamb, Jonathan Taylor, and Austin Eckler. Uh, I don't know about you, Curtis, but that Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, uh, one, two, 
I have yet to see that deviated from in a draft that I've been in. Yeah, I've I've seen a lot of um, CMC two chase three. Um, that's the most common variant. I have seen a couple drafts where uh, Christian McCaffrey went one hundred and one, and I did even see one draft where Cooper Cup went one hundred and one. Um, but I've been in a bunch of these things now, uh, so and, and they're slow. So I have a chance to actually. I'm doing all of them as slow drafts. None of them as live drafts, and so it's a little easier to kind of keep abreast of, of what's going on in all the individual leagues. But I mean, the big takeaway here, the observation is that, you know, eight of the picks in the first round and a half PPR best ball format are wide receivers. Yep. I mean, this is vastly different than what we've ever seen in underdog before, you know, a massive industry wide correction, perhaps even an overcorrection. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have to see throughout the first couple of rounds where, you know, this start three format at wide receiver seems to have, you know, usurped any of the, you know, the, I guess, legacy momentum that, that running backs and, and basically Travis Kelsey have had uh, through the first couple of years, just three running backs um, in the first round and, and just one running back in the top 10 picks. So, you know, the, the real question is if you think Christian McCaffrey in half PPR is, you know, if you think he's the odds on favorite to be the overall RB one, especially the way that he ended the year in San Francisco, you know, what's the opportunity cost of passing up on him for one of the, one of the wide receivers when, you know, you come back around at the the two, three turn and you have typically uh, some low end wide receiver ones available to you that we'll name here in a little bit. So, you know, Dave, as you enter more drafts, can you see yourself taking McCaffrey? Because I would say, I mean, I, I have so many drafts in progress that I don't, I don't know what my actual ownership uh, or exposure is quite yet until more of these things finish. I'm going to say I'm probably, I might be as high as 16 to 18% on CMC because I've actually been taking him at 102 yep. and I've had a lot and, and I'm also taking him every time at 103 if he's there. So he's kind of holding down two spots uh, for me and I, I'm definitely going to be overweight, but I'm curious of your thoughts. Yeah, no, I definitely see myself going after um, CMC. And one of the reasons for that, I think this year more than others, um, Jefferson and Chase and probably Cup, maybe even Hill, start getting mixed in to those early picks so often that if you really hammer CMC in those spots, I think you're kind of differentiating yourself especially if you do that across all of the teams that you have. What we saw from McCaffrey last year in San Francisco definitely told a story of things that could come. I think we're going to see a lot of that materialize as he continues to play and develop in that 49ers offense. Uh, So I'm not opposed at all to going after McCaffrey pretty heavily. Um, But yeah, like you said, Curtis, when I start looking at the first three rounds and I look at the distance that you see between McCaffrey and then that Taylor to maybe like Saquon Barkley tier. Then there's another very large break from them to Kenneth Walker. And we don't really see a lot of running backs going until round three. So if you're looking to also approach things structural structurally and try to get some different teams in there that don't all have that same grouping of players. You also have to make sure that you're incorporating some of the McCaffrey teams into that structure. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good way uh, to describe, I mean, my thoughts on it. It's like, hey, if I can get Jefferson, who seems like a home run uh, on receptions and receiving yards, you know, the floor is just so high there that it seems unlikely he would drop out of the top five wide receivers and be a whiff, you know, with, with chase, you know, you have, we've had some injury history. Now you have the, you know, the potential for T Higgins to take a, a step forward a couple years into his career. Now with Cooper cup, you have the injury questions with Tyree kill. You have um, the quarterback questions and also, you know, a formidable one B option in Jalen Waddle. And, you know, with those being the other three wide receivers going in the top five, I just think that Jefferson is a clear head above the rest of them having, you know, literally no question marks, but, you know, potentially even fewer question marks than in previous years, because now Adam Thielen and, you know, his typical, you know, eight, eight or so touchdowns are out of town. I mean, you could even see Jefferson collect a couple more of those, even as they distribute some of the Thielen touches in other directions. So Jefferson, my clear one-on-one, but I kind of like McCaffrey of any of the other players in, you know, the top five, I've even got a one Oh four share of them. Um, and then beyond that, with all these other wide receivers, I, I'm still, once we get past Chase and Tyreek, I'm, I'm finding myself, you know, preferring Travis Kelsey uh, often to AJ Brown um, or Devonte Adams. And I, I like taking Kelsey at ADP at the one six, just because of that positional advantage I have tons of teams there. And it's pretty neat because of what you can do in round two with Patrick Mahomes having a mid round ADP, it's very natural and easy to uh, stack uh, to start the draft with that stack. It's also very easy to start with a Stefan Diggs, Josh Allen stack for similar reasons with what their ADP uh, is currently trending at um, that second tier of wide receivers in, in round one being Stefan Diggs, AJ Brown, Devonte Adams, and CD lamb. My order of preference here um, is Stefan Diggs and then CD lamb and then Devontae Adams, and then A.J. Brown. Um, so I'm curious how you would approach those four, but I'm, I'm other than Diggs being at that 107, I'm drafting the rest of them in reverse order. Yeah, I actually um, think that I am inclined to agree with that. When I gave myself the exercise, if I was forced to pinpoint or pick one of these players in round one that I just couldn't draft, that I had to put some type of uh, block on, I think it would have been A.J. Brown. Uh, as a result of that, I would put him behind that grouping. Diggs, I think it could be easy to write off, but he goes back to that very stable situation for himself there in Buffalo. Uh, I, I agree. I think we have him. Uh, I, I'd keep him at the seven spot, followed probably by Lamb, then Adams, and then AJ, AJB. All right. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're in alignment there because of that, you know, through probably 30 completed drafts or so, I, I think I only have like one AJ Brown um, exposure. I'm almost never taking him. I like that you mentioned Diggs, you know, being in a stable situation. Um, you know, in each of the last three seasons and in, in PPR formats, at least, you know, he's scored at least 285 points. Um, he's been, you know, top, he's perennially top five in targets, top five in receptions, top five in receiving yards. Um, you know, he's highly efficient in three of the past five seasons. He's been top seven in fantasy points over expectation. The, the team still has not really figured out what their wide receiver two situation is. So, yeah, I really like that. The end of round one and going into round two is is really the first big, I think, decision point area because I'm seeing a lot of uh, people that I respect um, that have a structural element to the way that they approach best ball um, start the drafts, you know, with at least two wide receivers, sometimes even three, you know, wanting to kind of gobble up a, a stable of wide receivers and then drafting running backs in the later single digit rounds. And so they're opting for the likes of Garrett Wilson and Amonre St. Brown and Jalen Waddle over the quartet of Jonathan Taylor, Austin Eckler, Bijan Robinson, and uh, Saquon Barkley. But you've got those four running backs there. So I'd like to know how you would order them as we head into round two. And then do you, you know, could you see yourself drafting any of Wilson 
um, St. Brown or Waddle over those four backs? Because I definitely have my opinion. This is a super duper interesting question uh, because there are a lot of questions you could come up with surrounding every single one of these backs. Eckler at this point, we don't know if he remains a charger or not. Jonathan Taylor, what does this offense look like going forward? What's going to happen at quarterback? You know, can he recover kind of from what was a down season for him last year? Obviously, Robinson is the rookie. And then Barkley, we've talked some about the Giants tonight. Um, but I think that there are still questions there. That said, I think that I do see myself sprinkling these players in on drafts. I will probably end up with more Robinson than any of that group of four running backs there. The reason being, I feel like in this given season, as little as we know about Robinson at this point, not even knowing where he's going to land, I would still argue that he has the highest upside out of that group. Uh, that said, guys like Wilson, St. Brown, and Waddle, I occasionally would reach over those running backs to go ahead and get because those are three players that I want to make sure I get my exposures on them higher than my average player. And to do that, it might require leapfrogging them over some of these other players. Yeah, I think that's all fair. I mean, I don't think there's necessarily a wrong opinion um, because this is the area of the draft. When you have these back-to-backs, you're kind of just making a decision of what your structure is going to be. Yep. Um, that being said, Austin Eckler, over the past two seasons combined, averaging 19.4 half PPR per game, Um you know, I still think he's he's my favorite out of this quartet. I think we're getting an artificial discount because of, you know, the questions about, you know, would he be moved out of that offense? Uh, you know, Chargers brass did come out earlier this week, just a couple of days ago and said, you know, we want Austin to be here. You know, the issue is just, you know, well, how are they going to resolve their differences of opinion on his, on his worth uh, to the team? But there's no question about the worth of his role uh, in the offense. And so, if, if there were no questions and there had been no rumblings, I mean, Eckler would probably be going 104 right behind sure. CMC. Yep. And so, and it's very possible that we'll see a correction back to that. So I am personally taking the opportunity to draft Eckler every single time I draw a late slot. Um, and so he'll probably be my highest exposure of those four running backs. After that, I am opting for the rookie of uh, John Robinson, followed by Saquon Barkley, and then Taylor. I'm taking Taylor when he slides to the bottom there, but I'm not uh, really taking him often over the others uh, unless it's a, you know, just specifically to have a little, you know, I, I'm not going to be probably at weight on Taylor. I'll be a little underweight, but I don't want to completely fade him. Um, you know, Wilson, St. Brown, and Waddle coming in after those four running backs. I do have a couple teams. I would say, you know, something in the range of eight to 10 drafts that I've completed so far where, where I will follow either Devonte Adams or CD lamb at the end of round one uh, with Wilson uh, or Waddle to start wide receiver, wide receiver, because in, in round three and round four, you can still find some quality running backs and come back and, you know, fill that position in a little bit after the fact. So it's more of a structural decision. If I'm getting Wilson St. Brown or Waddle of those three players, uh, I prefer them in this order: Wilson, Waddle, St. Brown. I think with St. Brown, where we have to be a little bit careful, uh, the offense might get a little bit more explosive. But we've got Jamison Williams coming in, we've got David Montgomery coming in, and you know, I think we've probably seen his peak season in half PPR formats, like the the, the talent around him and the target share that they're going to absorb is only going to increase versus what he's seen early in his career. Uh, so this is, he is actually, I have two kind of avoid players in this second round. I am avoiding St. Brown. And then a couple of slots later, uh, I guess, as I finish reading off the, the list here, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, Devonte Smith, Kenneth Walker, T Higgins, Chris Olave. St. Brown and Hertz are the two players I'm fading in round two. Hertz, it's a scoring issue. He's he's going as QB three, but with the six points per passing touchdown, he can't pace with. I mean, there's a big downside risk to Hertz when he's only throwing he's throwing low twenties in passing touchdowns and he's rushing for double digit touchdowns. If he would have 
you know, some, you know, if, if his t- rushing touchdowns were to be halved, even if he stayed consistent with the yards, you know, there would be a, a wide gap uh, that opens up between where he, Allen Mahomes were performing. He already lagged them um, by several points per game in this format, even with all the rushing production he had last year. So I think this is, he's getting a name value boost that he's not backing up with the fantasy production, at least in this format. It makes sense to take him there in four points per passing touchdown uh, formats, but that's just simply not the case here. Yeah, I think those are all fair points that you raised, especially about Hertz, which brings up the important uh, concept here of year over year, you have to adjust even when your favorite players are involved and everybody knows we loved Hertz. But I think the points that you raise are all valid. And that also to some degree speaks to why AJB, we would be least high on out of those wide receivers in round one Uh, Waddle for me, I would put Waddle and Wilson over uh, St. Brown. And then I think in terms of the other wide receivers, I do think that uh, with Smith, Higgins, and Olave, there is a little bit of a gap between them and maybe Wilson and Waddle. But it's interesting to see Olave going um, down at the end of round two. I'd just be curious here if we pause for a second and just see if you would put Olave above any of the wide receivers ranked ahead of him based on this ADP. Yeah, I've been taking Olave over Smith and Higgins. Uh, I just have a little bit of Smith and Higgins. I'm taking them when they fall to round three. But Olave, I'm taking after Allen and Mahomes. Yep. So I'm actually drafting him at like in that 20th range or so. Fair enough. Okay, so if we look at round three here, Curtis, this is where the running backs really start to show up. We have Brees Hall and DK Metcalf is the lone wide receiver for a while, followed by Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, Tony Pollard, Josh Jacobs, Travis Etienne, then Debo, DeAndre Hopkins, Ramondre Stevenson, Justin Fields. Interesting. Right now, QB4 here is Fields, then Amari Cooper. The first question I'll raise is, out of the running backs that I've listed here, do any of those names stand out to you as a player that should not be lumped in with the rest of them a player here that perhaps is an outlier at the running back position i don't know if they're outliers i mean you can see the cases for all of them i i think the order is a little bit confusing Mm -hmm. i mean i i love Brees hall and he looked awesome last season but he's coming off you know a significant injury and for him to be going after derrick henry who still you know scored 286 points in a horrible season for the titans I mean, I think there's been a massive overcorrection on Henry that doesn't really make sense to me. And then also for Nick Chubb and Josh Jacobs. I mean, Nick Chubb now, not that Kareem Hunt was a huge threat last season, but he is going to be out of the picture. Now the Browns could make a, you know, investment in a similar type player to to kind of compliment him. But we also might have a, a situation where Chubb finally gets full run of the backfield. Uh, and then even if that doesn't happen in year two for Deshaun Watson, you know, we should see a leap for, uh, the Cleveland Browns offense. So I've always been targeting Chubb uh, when, you know, in the years where he hasn't been like a first round pick, which I think it's been two years since we've seen that because I think he's one of those players like Jonathan Taylor in 2021, where it's like, you know, maybe it's, it's not the chiefs offense or, you know, uh, uh, you know, the bills offense, but Chubb gets so ma- so many of the high value touches in towards the end zone and the Browns are going to move the ball enough like he's just one of those players that I feel could score 20 touchdowns any season. And in this format, you know, that really, really helps. So I have a ton in this range. I'm taking Henry and Chubb almost every time, actually even over Tony Pollard, who I really like, uh, I'm taking them, you know, over ETN, which is just following ADP. But I also think Josh Jacobs, I mean, Josh Jacobs had an incredible season last year and you could argue that the team just made a quarterback upgrade in going to Jimmy Garoppolo. So it doesn't, like when was the last time that a running back that was this age, you know, crushed it in fantasy and then, you know, wasn't a first round pick. Like this is the area where I feel like there has been some overcorrection. I'm all for drafting wide receivers early and will continue to beat that drum, but over a player like Devonte Smith, who is his team wide receiver two, or T Higgins, who's a team wide receiver two, 
over those two guys in particular, like it's just really puzzling to me that you don't see Henry Chubb and Jacobs, you know, toward the end of round two rather than the top of round three. I, I can't really understand the math. Well, so what I wonder here is what if what we're seeing is a lot of the things that we've talked about for a while starting to permeate into the thinking of a lot of players out there. So is some of this the fact that we're seeing that it makes more sense in these leagues to go after the wide receivers with some of that also being the fact that these guys are a little bit easier to predict which ones are going to hit. You know, last year, Josh Jacobs came from far outside the top of running back ADP to make such a difference. And then we know that if you look historically, it's hard to see some of these players that at that point in their career make that big jump continue to hold it for a long time. I don't know if I'm doing an eloquent job of putting this together, but it does feel like some of these, what we're seeing now is kind of over what what feel like over corrections might just be that we're seeing a lot of those lessons that have been learned for maybe the last like 10 years playing fantasy start to manifest in, uh, you know, even early on ADP that carries into the season. I don't yeah. know. If, I don't know if any of what I just made sense actually after after I have finished here. Well, I think I think people are excited to play fantasy in a strategic uh, in a more strategic fashion instead of just chasing last year's points, which is great. Yep. But uh, I mean, so, some we got to remember we're playing a half PPR game, and we don't want to take these types of backs over the true elite wide receivers. Mm-hmm. But man, I just think you know when you think about. Uh, when you think about the running back position and who, who can really score the touchdowns um, and who have, you know, who are some of the bell cows that have huge shares of their offense. It's really hard for me to, to chase a team wide receiver two over some of those guys, you know, but anyway, you know, in past years, we would have seen Henry going over Stefan Diggs and, you know, Chubb going over CD lamb. You know, that correction, I, I totally get it, especially in, in starting a wide, you know, starting three wide receiver situations and with the you know popularity of stacking, wanting to get access to the, you know, the wide receiver ones on those teams and then chase their quarterbacks later. It all, it all makes perfect sense. But I just, I, that's why I, I would flip, you know, if it were me, I would totally flip, you know, I would flip Devontae Smith, T Higgins, probably Jalen Waddle uh, and Amonra St. Brown, even, I mean, I would, I would take all those guys out of round two and put some of the backs that we were talking about in round one. And before we look at round three, I do need to correct myself in my impassioned um, Jalen hurts. Uh, <laughs> I was looking at the wrong grid, yeah. uh, correct notes, wrong grid. It is, it is four points per passing touchdown uh, in an underdog um, and six points for rushing touchdown. But my point, my point remains is that, you know, while the rushing yards will probably be stable year over year as the Eagles offense changes, you know, I'm not sure that we can count on him for double digit rushing touchdowns. And we still have not seen him put up elite passing yard numbers or elite passing touchdown numbers. And that, you know, is a clear separation between him uh, versus Allen and Mahomes. And that's why you know, I'm, I'm chasing those two guys there and, and not chasing hurts. Yeah. So I, I think that, um, Ultimately, I think the points that you make about running back there in comparison to those wide receivers make sense. Um, A lot of it's just going to come down to how players want to approach the board this year. I will be curious to see, though, if once we get to like puppy two, puppy three times, some of those running backs have started to make their way up. And of course, things inevitably will be impacted by what we see happen in the draft and uh you know i don't know if there well at this point we do still have two big pieces to fall which would be where aaron Rodgers ends up and then if lamar jackson truly does end up outside of baltimore what team he lands with i think those are two things too that will have pretty big ripple effects yeah i think those are two big ripple effects um there's five players in round three that we didn't talk about yet. And so curious what you think about these five guys Uh, at 32 overall Debo Samuel. And then we've got Deandre Hopkins, 
Ramondre Stevenson, Justin Fields, and Amari Cooper. So, you know, that that onslaught of running backs at the top of round three, followed by a trio of uh, veteran wide receivers. You got Ramondre Stevenson a, a little bit of a cut below that last year of running backs we talked about. And then Justin Fields trying to creep his way up the board. Any any players you like there more than the others? I've got two that I'm drafting uh, very heavily versus um, the other three. So the players that I don't like there is kind of how I would approach this. It's not that I really love any of them there. I don't feel very good about Justin Fields at that point. Um, I think a lot of the reason for that kind of lines up with what you said about Jalen Hurts um, and Chicago potentially being the type of team that's just not going to be able to sustain him for long enough this year to justify using a overall 35 and round three pick on him as the quarterback for the other player that I'm not really feeling great about there, Curtis is Ramondre Stevenson. Um, I know that last year he did do uh, pretty well. You know, you could make the case for him this year as having substantial control of that New England backfield. In fact, uh, he did finish as the running back 11 in PPR per game last year, was an RB1 41% of the time, was number 10 in opportunities. Um, this is one of those where I don't know I can if I can give a nice tied up road of his analysis here. Yeah. Other than just saying that um, I don't expect the New England offense in 2023 to be playing the exact same way that it was in 2022. I think we're going to see a little bit of a shakeup there. And I'm not sure that we're going to see the same level of targets going to Stevenson that we did in 2022. And I think when you start to take away some of those targets, uh, you know, the efficacy of using a 34 or an overall pick 34 on him starts to fade. So those are two, you did pick out two of the the three guys that I'm fading here. The other one that I'm fading is Debo Samuel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, D, Debo's 2021 versus his 2022, you know, in both years, uh, he ranked extremely high in expected points per game in 2021. Uh, he was wide receiver 11 in expected points per game in 2022. Surprisingly, he was actually wide receiver nine and expected points per game. The difference is in 2021, he was wide receiver one and fantasy points over expectation per game. In 2022, he's wide receiver 242, Dave. Wow. So as, as lucky and fortunate as he was uh, in 2021, you know, all those extra rushing attempts that he had and touches, uh, you know, near the end zone, you know, a lot of that evaporated partially because he didn't want to play that role anymore, partially because the 49ers brought in Christian McCaffrey and partially because we saw, you know, a lot of topsy-turviness at the quarterback position uh, and, and different, you know, preferences for, you know, their various pass weapons. Um, George Kittle kind of reemerging as, you know, one of the elite threats at the tight end position and Brandon Ayuk continuing to take a step forward. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, the shares are distributed pretty evenly amongst those three, you know, pass catchers again this season. And so why would you take Samuel over the other two guys who are available later? And then particularly uh, in favor over Kittle, if you want a piece of the, the 49ers passing attack, that's not Christian McCaffrey, do it at a place where you can get a positional advantage. So the, the two players that I'm taking frequently here actually are boring old Deandre Hopkins and boring old (laughs) Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper put up over 200 half PPR points last year, very quietly and I mean, just made the Cowboys look absolutely ridiculous for selling them what they sold them for uh, in that trade with the Browns. You know, I, I really think that the chemistry between him and, and Watson will improve. Amari, you know, is noted for being, you know, one of the better route technicians in the NFL. I think that they'll be able to really play off of that. You know, they, they've added Elijah Moore as another uh, option with the David Bell experiment not working out. Donovan Peoples-Jones continues to be a weapon for them. They got David and Joku back in the fold and uh, without them having much high end draft capital available, I don't see them being able to add much else at wide receiver. So this is Amari Cooper show. And if you think that, that Watson isn't a pumpkin, I mean, I think Amari Cooper is a solid bet to outscore T Higgins to outscore Devonte Smith and to outscore 
Amonra St. Brown, all who are going at least around earlier. Um, so I really like Amari there at 36 as a presumed a wide receiver one in that passing attack. And then with Hopkins, you know, he looked very solid once he came back and, you know, he's been given permission to seek the trade. You know, he, he's definitely uh, gotten ties to both the bills and the chiefs. Uh, you would have to salivate about, you know, what would happen to his ADP post trade to one of those two uh, quarterback situations. And then unfortunately the third place he's been, you know, uh, rumored to, to be would not probably be great for him, which would be Atlanta. That would be highly confusing with a lack of a, you know, high end quarterback and, you know, two other uh, potential alpha options there. But, you know, really drafting Hopkins here after Cooper usually uh, in this range, but on, on the assumption that, you know, his ADP and, you know, fantasy production could skyrocket in a potential pairing with, with Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. So that takes us through the top three rounds, Dave. Yeah, that does. Uh, exciting to look at these names. It's, it, it is fun, Curtis, as we were saying before the show started. It's like a whole different game this year. We have new names. It feels like there's been a lot of turnover now. Uh, and I am just getting very excited now to start getting into making that shift where it starts to feel like the new season of fantasy football has started and the year that was, which was 2022, is in the rearview window. So we will be back uh, later this week. There still are a couple of lingering topics from 2022 that if uh, the mood serves me, we will go back and revisit at some point, but we appreciate everybody spending some time with us and we will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. Send us questions at rvffshow at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at CPatrickNFL. Leave us a voicemail at 978-615-9214 and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.